millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rotor Report podcast in association with the Sunny Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav, and he joins for a Q&A pod midweek, as there's a lot to cover off, and we wanted to get your questions on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, on all things Sunderland, we said ask us anything, and that's exactly what you've done, although I have left out a handful of questions, silly ones. We don't want the silly ones. This is a very serious podcast. We've got lots of <laughs> really interesting things to talk about when it comes to Sunderland. Uh, joining me, it's a three-man pod tonight. Join me, uh, first and foremost, Martin. Hey, mate. Hello, Gav. Yeah, nice to, nice to be back and looking forward to getting stuck into a few of the, the big talking points, because yeah, as you say, there's a lot, to, a lot to go through at the moment, isn't there? Yes, absolutely. And also with us is Chris. Hey, mate. All right, look at you two, looking yeah. all smug because you were able to talk about a win at the weekend. I don't know how long it's been since, since I've been able to do that. Yeah, you're banned until we lose again. Bastard. <laughs> so, yes, like I said, we've got tons of questions. And if I'm honest, if we answer every single one of them, it's going to be a long, long, long podcast. I think it's going to be long anyways, but there is quite a lot to talk about. What is interesting to me, by the way, and I mentioned this to you two just before we came on the air, but we had very few questions about Michael Beale, which given we won at the weekend, is interesting because I think if we'd done this a week ago, it might have been a different type of podcast. So <laughs> I think the tone of this one might be a little bit different than it might have been had we recorded this a week ago or so. But there's quite a lot going on, as we said. Um, we, we record this a couple of days out from the end of the transfer window, for instance, and we all know that a lot's going to change in terms of players coming in, players coming out in the time that, maybe between the time we record this and it goes out, I don't know. Things move at such a fast pace. Um, but people are bombing us with questions and we'll get started with transfers, I think, because transfers of this time of the year, the most important thing to most people, it's been a dead window, really. Let's be honest, we haven't really done anything, but I think that's more reflective of the the, the, the picture as a whole. The Premier League, nobody's really signing anybody, um, which then has a trickle-down effect. And the likes of us in the Championship, we've got to wait for things to move elsewhere before we can sign players we want. So that is kind of the theme of the questions. The first one from the off, and I'll come to you on this, Chris, from Taylor 1879 on Instagram. They ask, why are we always slow in the transfer window? Are we always slow in the transfer window? Uh, no, I think, we're, I, think, I think everyone's exactly the same. I think January is a collective thing. I think every football league club goes through the same um, kind of pain in, in, in January. I don't think we're really any different to, to too many clubs. There's always one or two, and it's always the problem, isn't it? There's always one or two clubs who get some business done early, and then all of the fans of the other clubs think that that's what they have to do. 
but it, it doesn't work like that. We've talked for a few years now, every every January when it comes to this, that in this transfer window, because it's the middle of the season, most moves are no-brainers where players haven't been getting a game or they've been unhappy or something's happened, like we'll come on to the, the Pritchard um, scenario. So that there's there's those no-brainers. But otherwise, it's always the domino effect, isn't it? And it, it normally comes from the top. So sometimes, you know, when a big move happens in the in the Premier League, some fans in the Championship League One and all that might not think too much of it, but that might free up some loan moves further down, which then triggers other moves, people going out and kind of cascades all the way down the leagues. You know, even if there's like a, a really big move at the top, it means a couple of young players can then go out on loan and they go to the Championship and the Championship clubs loan to League One and, and so on. And it goes like that. So it's kind of waiting for those moves to happen, but it's it tends to happen late on because people panic and January the January window is all about panic whereas the the summer one is about planning you know even kind of years ahead what what are these when are these players going to break through and all this sort of stuff but January's just reacting to you know either trying to get yourself up the table because you're in a bit of bother or trying to lift yourself from that mid table position up to the top or consolidate yourself at the top so it's just a strange window. And even years later, since it was introduced, I still don't think people have quite got the hang of it. And, and the other thing I would say to that is that with football now in general, it's more of a business. More clubs are being run like businesses and taking out the, the emotion out of it and all the rest of it. If you've got uh, an asset and you're selling it, you want as much money as you can possibly get. It's a business transaction. Likewise, if you're a club buying a player, you're investing money into something which you may eventually want to see a return on, whether that be financial, like what we do, where we, we go out and we sign players with the aim to develop them, develop them and then potentially sell them on. Or if it's just a case of we need to sign X player for X amount because that player will get us promoted or will save us from relegation, then clubs will do that. It's very much done in business terms. So that's perhaps why it goes on as long as it does because everybody's trying to get the best value for whatever it is that they're trying to trying to bring into the club. And speaking of players coming into clubs, Martin, I'll come to you on Ahmad, because we've had a few on Ahmad. Uh, Niall, at SCFC Niall on Twitter, he said, thoughts on the Ahmad situation? I think Ten Hag is a dick for keeping him and then putting out a full-strength squad against Newport and not bringing him on from the bench. Also, Jace Nunn on Instagram, he said, would, would signing Ahmad hinder us? Are you blocking the progress of our own players? Ahmad, do you think... One, Martin, we might actually have a chance of getting him, but also what's your overall assessment of sort of the the way he's been used since the summer at Manchester United? I mean, I know he's been injured, but recently he's been available and it looks like maybe Ten Hag's not sold on him. So really they should just give him to Sunderland, I think. I think they should just give him for free. For free. Pay, yeah. pay him up, give him to us for now. I think that's <laughs> the best thing for everyone, isn't it? Well, I'd be very happy with that. I think it's, it's a funny one with Ahmad because like, he was a sensational player for a lot of the time he was with us, he obviously took a little bit of a, a time to sort of kick on and get going, didn't he? But once he hit sort of his stride last season, he was he was superb. I'm actually not that keen on coming back, I have to say, um, which is probably a controversial opinion. But if if he you know if he came back permanently, if we could get him signed on a five year deal, brilliant. If he comes back <laughs> now. But it's right, because like if he comes back now, yeah, he might score a few goals. He might get a little bit higher up the table. I don't think he's going to be the difference between promotion or not, because I kind of think that 
I don't know. I, I'm not that confident on, on that at all this season. I just think we're better off investing in permanent. Like, I don't like loan players anyway at the best of times. And I'd prefer... Like, you've seen Barr play on Saturday. I know that's only a short thing, but Barr's performance on Saturday was, was great, showed real promise. And I think if you bring Ahmad in, where he's going to play in that position, isn't he? Barr's going to come out the team. And we're kind of preventing our own players from progressing. Now, if, if we could get Ahmad on the permanent deal, which I think is usually unlikely unless we're in the Premier League, then that is, that's different. But I, have, I feel sorry for him at Man United because I think he's more than capable of playing in, in that team. And I think some of the players that you see playing ahead of him in the minute aren't as good as him, but obviously he has been injured. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be that in favour of him coming back on loan, I have to say. Chris, you your face sort of changed direction there when Martin <laughs> said that. But, but I, to be honest, I, I kind of understand and agree in a way with Martin. Like I do generally think with loan players that what you are doing, really, they're taking up space for somebody who you own, who you... who We talked about investment before, so investing time and, and energy into a player, but Ahmad's a special player. It's like, I'd find it very hard to turn him down if the opportunity was on the table. And... What interests us is, you know, how how likely is it one, and how much does he want to come? Because for me, if he's available on loan, there has to be five or six teams at least in the Premier League who would love him, and that, and that puts them ahead of us in the pecking order. It's going to be an interesting last few days, I think. I think it's it, it's inevitable that this isn't going away until that deadline shut. Whether he comes or not, I think is unlikely. But still, I think if the opportunity's there, we've got to take him surely. Oh look, look! The whole Ahmad thing is going to go on for years and years and years. Like you know, like, <laughs> it's going to be the Jordan Henderson thing. You know, where people might say he's go. You know, he's always going to end up back at Sunderland at some point. The, you know, the lad will be thirty three, and people will say, "No, oh, he's going to have a swan song at Sunderland at some point, and <laughs> it's going to it's going to go on for the rest of his career." I mean, it was interesting because you know, listening to Martin say that. I mean, I, d- I don't completely disagree, but the the whole thing about loan deals is. It all depends because, I mean, we, we all think about loan signings going back and, you know, starting with Ahmad that, that lifted us, lifted that team last season. And it's amazing when you think that was seventh and basically just outside the, the playoffs on goal difference now without him because he was so good. Um, and I, I think, you know, we've got rose-tinted specs as well because he, he did have a lot of off days. And I think, Martin, you were talking about his Man United, you know, getting into that team. I think I think he's still got a way to go to be in a to be a Manchester United, you know, a regular, even, even yes. kind of yeah, like even a match day squad regular. I think you know at the minute because he he was he had his amazing days and he did some incredible things. But I think for a club like Man United, they want a bit more consistency than probably he gave us last season. But it, way the only thing I would say to that Chris is you watch them, Jesus. I think he could do a job. For Aye, but but you say, but obviously obviously we don't see training. Every it's a different day. level, though, isn't it? It is a different level. That's it. But mm-hmm. but on the loan deals, I, I always think, well, you know, how much do you how much do you actually need them, or do you just want someone who's better than what you've got? And and I look at our fullback position at the minute, and you know, we're talking about signing this lad from from Leeds. I would have actually thought that if the club were planning and the likes of, you know, the long term injuries would eventually come back and get fit, then actually that would be a perfect solution to have a loan signing until the end of the season to see us through in that position. And then in the summer, you know, review where are these lads going to come back fully fit? How, where are we going to be for the start of the season? And then sign someone. So in that instance, I know what you mean, Martin, about loan signings. I prefer us to sign permanent. But 
in situations like that, I think, well, look ahead, get these, get the young lads back fit, and loan someone just to kind of fill a gap until until the summer and that they come back. Oh, I completely agree with that sort of approach to it. But I think if if we brought in Ahmad or somebody of a similar level who's you know a step above pretty much everything else that we we've got, it actually changes the whole complexion of the, of the team, doesn't it? And we saw last year. We wouldn't have gotten the playoffs without Ahmad. He got us into the playoffs, and then you create all of this other expectation for next season. I think it kind of is you elevate where you're not ready to, to go it, to. It, it does. You're you're right. You're right. But on the other hand, you could argue that we've got a really young squad now. If we bring in a player like Ahmad, like we did last season, or someone who's a level above what we've got, there's a double-edged sword because on one hand you can say, well. Okay, well, someone, someone, somewhere isn't going to get as many games and minutes on the pitch who you probably want to develop. But on the other hand, having them play with Ahmad or someone who is that level above for even a handful of games, does that bring that player on a bit more as well? Like playing with those oh, players, quite even on the training pitch. I think you, you know you, you saw last season where we had Ahmad and Roberts linking up so well on that sort of right hand side, often to the or sometimes to the detriment of Jack Clark's performances. Jack Clark's been a sensational player for us this season. I think it's because yeah. Ahmad's not been in the team. We've had to go through Clark a lot more. Robert's effectiveness has been diluted with Ahmad not not being there. So it's almost yeah. like you're kicking the problem down the, the hill six months. And I think we haven't quite solved it yet. And, you know, maybe Barr's performances over recent weeks go some way at solving that. But I would rather now we were building an 11 or 15, 18 players to really tackle the championship and go up hmm. next season. And I think if we bring Ahmad in, unless we can get him on the 18-month loan, then I think that's a completely different scenario. But if we're just getting him in on loan for the rest of the season, I think we're just kind of kicking the problem down the hill and we're not setting ourselves up right for next season. Well, I was just trying to work out how much that uh, permanent deal you were talking about on a five-year contract <laughs> was going to cost us. <laughs> oh. Now, that would I'm, be nice. I'm sure we that can nice. uh, find a few pennies in the well, in, in the back of Kirill's... Uh, pocket there to sign him but you know we'll, maybe not we'll maybe, sell, maybe when we get promoted yeah <laughs> we'll sell Clark for 30 and uh, offer Man United like a, a couple of million see what, see what they say <laughs> yeah that'll do that'll do uh, we've had a couple more questions around transfers I'll, I'll put these two together because they're pretty much the same uh, James underscore one two three on Instagram has said who is the one person we need in the squad or you know one one position we need filled uh, Joe Lewins on Twitter has said which position do you think is the one we must strengthen in this window I believe a dominant central defensive midfielder is a must, more so than a striker. What are your views? I'll come to you, Chris, on this one. Well, I mean, the first one, who is the person we need in the squad? I mean, I have, I, I think that's a pointless question when it comes to our recruitment. Because we, I, I don't know who half them Well, are. exactly. <laughs> like, over the last three years, the, the, there's suddenly been someone announced and I've just went, who, who are they? Never heard of them most of the time. So you're talking, you know, I mean... We could we could reel off ten names now between the three of us, and that we won't go anywhere near them because that that's not the market we're looking in. Because we only know the obvious players. We don't watch all the all the academies week in week out like uh, like we've got scouts out there watching and the, the Dewey deal coming in from Costa Rica and all that sort of stuff coming in from left field. I mean, how are we supposed to know the one person? I mean, we could say what what type of player um, and position. Like the next question, because the. The dominant central midfield player 
I mean, it's, it's clear that, I mean, I said this in the summer that, that that was the kind of place that I thought we were weak because we didn't know what the strikers were going to be like at that point. So it seemed like we strengthened, you know, bringing in kind of four players in that position. You thought, well, at least we've got half a chance of one of them, one of them sticking some uh, goals in the back of the net. Um, hasn't quite turned out like that. But that this cent- central defensive midfielder, it's a, it's a strange one because I we desperately need somebody to kind of shore up and make sure we've got cover in that position at least. But I mean, you never you, you want Dan Neal in there every week. I mean, he's just he's just one of the best central midfield players in the division. And Edward is only like you know he played a handful of games towards the end of last season, and this is essentially his first full season. And Taking that into account, although he's a bit older than he should be at this stage doing that, like you can see his, his form's going up and down, which, you know, you expect that from someone in his first full season, uh, playing week in, week out. And the question mark is in the squad, how much does the club rate Jim Atete? And that's the question. Like if the club have given up on him, then they need a body in there. But then where do they where do they pitch that? Do they say, right, we're going to go out and go big and get someone who's just going to, he's going to be one of the best midfield players in the division? Or do they get someone else who they think has got a good chance and sit in behind Dan Neal and Ekra as, as more cover and then Matetia moves, makes him move to Plymouth or wherever or, you know, wherever, whoever fancies him. But that's going to be the question mark because does the club consider Jim Matetia as cover for these two? And... I think the club are going to do something with Ekwa in the same way as what they did with Dan Neal, where he's making a few mistakes, his form's coming in and out, but they're just going to keep playing him because that that's mm. that's how he's going to develop and that's how he's going to become a better player. And it worked with Dan Neal last season when he was making, he had weeks and weeks of making mistakes, getting red cards and giving the ball away for, you know, I remember at Sheffield United and all this sort of stuff. And I, I just think with Ekwa, they, they know there's a cracking player there and, the want as many minutes on the pitch as possible. So it's a tough one because I mean the the Invalia thing, I mean I mean why I don't really get that because he'd expect to play and then you're losing minutes for Equa and you're losing minutes for or, or for Dan Neal and well Dan Neal's not going to be pulled out. It's going to be Equa. So yeah, so that's the big question mark. It's where do the pitch that sign and do they trust Jamitet here? Does Jamitet here want to leave in the next couple of days? So yeah, it's it, it's a tough one. It's not an obvious one just to bring a top draw central midfielder in because you've got two players in there who you want to play. The only thing I would add to that really is that I think if we're going to bring anybody in in that position, it has to be somebody experienced, and whether that that kind of experienced player is actually available at the minute, that would add what we need them to. Like I know for most of the window, we've we've had Jan Jan and Via linked. And I don't actually think the club are, are that interested. I think it's been, they've kind of poured, poured cold water on that one. But I could see that kind of signing working just because it, it would maybe be a short-term deal, bit of experience just for those lads to learn off, maybe in games where we need a little bit more experience to help manage the games and things like that. I could see that working out. Uh, I do think we need a centre in. I think Matete, if he stays, it's because he's injured at the minute. I don't know how bad his injury, injury actually is. But I think he'll not struggle to get a club in League One. And I, I personally don't think that they're keen on him. Otherwise, we would have seen more of him. Martin, do you want to just come in on that? I've got probably a slightly different take on that um, sort of midfield conundrum, if you like. Because I think we saw on Saturday um, how we're going to 
move forward with our sort of midfield structure, which is one midfielder sitting and two playing ahead of him. And we saw Dan Neal sitting there on on um, Saturday, and we've seen Equa tried there, haven't we, in, sort of in front of the back four in a more defensive role. And I actually don't think Neil or Equa are naturally that defensive midfield player. I think they're more comfortable and, you know, we, we get more out of them by those who play in a little bit further forward. Um, obviously, you've got Bellingham to throw into there as well, but Bellingham falls kind of in the same category, I think, as Equa does, where, you know, we want to give them game time. We want to give them exposure. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to have some some weeks of, of sort of off form um, that you need to play through. But I think if we could bring in a sort of a specialist defensive midfield player who could sit in that deeper position, who's a bit more experienced than, than what we've got, I think that would give us a really nice balance and it would enable you know, almost Equer and Bellingham to an extent to, to rotate a little bit, give them a little bit of time out the team when we need to. And I think if we if we did that, you've got that just have Naus in front of the back four, who can really lead the team. Um, and I, I suspect if we are going to make a signing in in midfield, there's going to be somebody of that ilk who who'll be a specialist defensive midfield player rather than another player like Neil or like Equa who prefers playing further forward. One last question on transfers. I think this this is a good one to end off on. Given he's the only kind of player who's gone out the window as we record this. Uh, Jack Asbury on Facebook has said, do you think the club is right to send Jewison Bennett on loan to a club in Greece? Personally think we should have kept him around, but if he wants to go on loan somewhere, going somewhere else in England would probably have been better for him long term. Martin, let's come to you quickly on that one. Bennett, should we have kept him around and is a loan to a Greek club the best thing for him? We should have kept him around if we're going to use him, but you know we haven't seen hide and hair of him since the Southampton game, I think, have we, where we he did a triple Maradona spin and put no, the cross just, into... Just for the under-21s, I think, is the only place yeah. we've seen him. So, I, I think he's been criminally underused this season. I really like him. I think he's you. Know, I think he's got a lot of talent. He can score a goal. Um, and I, I actually don't understand why we haven't seen him more. Like, Mowbray obviously didn't fancy him, did he? The fact he's gone on loan, or he's going on loan to a club in Greece, suggests that we don't really see a long-term future for him here. Um, I think if we did, he would have gone to a League One club or a, another club in the Championship because I think getting experience and minutes in English football is going to serve him better in terms of how he progresses than going off and playing some football in Greece where you know we don't know what the standards... Obviously, the club will have a better idea of what the standards are like, but it's a completely different sort of level of football. So I think it's a shame. Like, I really like him. I think he's... I say he's got a goal in him. We've seen he's he's got a goal in him. Um, he's obviously got talent. But you know he's got he's probably got the most difficult job at the club at, at present, hasn't he? Being a left winger when you've got Jack Clark ahead of you, so it, a loan deal makes sense. But I would have preferred to see him go somewhere in in this country than than elsewhere. The only thing I would add on that is you know I think Michael Beale was asked about it, wasn't it? And he said I'm expecting him back in pre season. We see him as a part of the squad going forward, and I like what I've seen from him in training. But he's got. He's got to think about his international future and he needs to be playing games with tournaments coming up and all these other things, which which I totally get. But the report, what I saw, was that he'd, we'd turned down, or he'd turned down moves from Hibs. Stoke was another club mentioned, I think. Yeah, it was And thing. Yeah, and perhaps another team abroad. I can't remember who it was, but it I, I, can, I can totally understand him wanting to go out and get minutes somewhere. He's not going to get them here, as you've said. It's quite clear, you know, he, the, the player ahead of him in his position is our best player and then for whatever reason, they've not really used them, and there's, there, there are reasons for that. And I mentioned on a podcast the other week, 
that I'd heard a story about him that game when we had a full team of first teamers out in the 21s and he kicked off because he wasn't starting and they ended up taking him off the bench and he left in a huff. So there's been that side of it. I think he's clearly very frustrated from not playing and I get that to be fair because when you're 16, 17 year old making your international debut and then playing at a World Cup to then not even get off the bench for your club team must be very frustrating. It's a bit different to some of the other lads who around his age who are maybe just waiting for that, that first opportunity. So I get it, but I'm a bit sceptical about sending him to Greece, if I'm honest. All, all we can hope for is that he's going to go out there, maybe enjoy the better weather, which is a bit more like being back at home, and maybe get enjoying his football. And then in pre let's say he goes there and absolutely smashes it, he'll come back in pre-season, his stock will have risen, and you know there's, there, there is that possibility that we don't have Jack Clark in the in the summer. You know, he could, he could be gone by the end of the season, the way things are going, and there might be opportunities there for Dewey to get into the team. I don't know, but it's a, it's an interesting one anyways. And talking about players who've probably got um, moves away or as we record, it looks like it's very likely that Alex Pritchard is off Chris and going to Birmingham. I think of all clubs, we've had a few questions on Pritchard because this one's really split the fan base. A lot of people aren't particularly happy with the way the club have handled it. And then on the other side, you've got people looking at it and saying, well, his long-term future was never going to be with Sunderland and, you know, bar a, a smattering of games this season, really, he hasn't done much in the Championship for Sunderland and perhaps it's the best time to let him leave. There's definitely been a split and, like I say, we've had a lot of questions on it. First one we've got, Stuart Scott on Facebook has asked, so Pritchard's going to Birmingham, fair enough, wanted by current manager. Does that mean somebody else was picking the team under Tony Mowbray and now under Beal? I mean, is there anything weird in this in that... Pritchard really didn't get much of a kick under Mowbray at Sunderland and then he's going to Birmingham and Mowbray's signing him and giving him a pay rise apparently and a big contract. Is is there anything we can read into that? Um, well, other than he's a fellow who is going to need employment, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> essentially what it comes down to. I mean, it, it's there's there's nothing more to it, you know, that you know, he's getting to that age. He's what, 29, 30 now? I think he's, has he hit 30 yet? He's, he's a, coming up 31. I think he's coming 31, up 31. There you go. So he's only, he's only got a couple, and he's not the most kind of dynamic, kind of physical, athletic type of player, is he? So he's probably got a couple of years left in him um, at this sort of level. He's probably got one more payday in him, one more contract at the kind of championship level. And we've got, we've got players coming through. We've got plans for the summer. So we offer him a year and, he looks around, his agent talks, and he can get a two-year somewhere else um, and more money. And he says, right, well, can I move now? Basically, I'm away. And mm. yeah, okay, he's, there's probably better ways to do it than down in tools and all this sort of stuff. And But it's a, it's a way, it's a tool that your players have got to force moves. And, and that's what he's doing. And look, I mean, I, I can't blame him. You know, people, you know, they, these... These are people and they've got families and they've got the next few years to think about and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, like I said, there's maybe better ways to do it. And But I just I just feel it's that. And, you know, a move to Birmingham, I think, at this stage in his career, is, is and if they're offering a two-year contract, two-and-a-half-year contract, more money, then fair play to him. You know, and I just think, I actually think he's, he's a good player. He's decent. He's not a world beater. He had some stinkers last season. He was up and down. His form was up and down last season. When he got in, sometimes he looked great. When he and then, and then he would he would come on a sub and look great. And then he'd start a game and then he'd be crap. So then he'd get dropped. And then he'd come back on a sub and everyone think he was great again. 
and that was kind of the story of, of Pritchard last season. And he's had, um, I think he's actually been in better form this season, but I still don't think he's worth a long contract with where we're going and the type of players we're bringing in. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a it's a no brainer all round, and it, he's not he's not one of our best players that I'm really going to be absolutely gutted to see leave. And I think we'll bring in better players. So I've got I've got no problem with it really. Jimbo at Jimbo Crimps on Twitter, Martin has said, "Do you think we are better off without Pritchard long term?" Oh, look, no, I I like Pritchard, and I think it's a shame that this kind of enders like this. I think you know we spoke after the Preston game um, after we scored that that goal, and. I, said, you know, I'd be very happy for him to be offered a, another year because I think he's a, a good player to keep around the, the squad. And I think, you know, as Chris said, his impact off the bench has usually been better than what he's produced from, from the start. I just think it's kind of a shame how it's ended. You've seen over the past few weeks, he's you know, he's been arguing on the pitch with players. He's been arguing with Beal, or seems to be arguing with Beal um, visibly on, on the pitch. And it's obviously seemed to have, have snowballed a, a little bit. Yeah, I think he's been a good player for us. He came in when we were in League One, helped us get promoted. I can understand him wanting to protect himself to some extent. You know, if he's got this contract offer on the table from from Birmingham, or there was a club in Turkey also mentioned, wasn't there? And you know, he'll be thinking, well, I'm out of contract here in the summer. If I get injured today, that's going to be those moves off. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective. I think there's probably better ways of going about it. Yeah. And obviously we've only heard one side of the story. So, you know, the club have sort of got in front of that that story and tried to to dictate how that, that story is perceived. And, you know, the truth's often somewhere in the middle, isn't it? So we'll we'll see what mm. comes out over the next few weeks. But look, it's a shame to see him yeah. go. I think um I think it's interesting that Mowbray is the one who's signing him, seeing as he didn't actually play him that much. So that kind of gives <laughs> might start the, the rumours of somebody else picking the team rather than Tony Mowbray or him being told who to pick. Uh, um, which I, I, I don't that, see that, any... That's kind of that's kind of what Stuart got at with that first question, well, didn't he? You know, yeah. is somebody else perhaps picking the team as Mowbray? Or I, I, I just don't see that um, at all. But you know, it'll be interesting to see how Mowbray uses him at, at Birmingham. If that's where he he is going, which it looks like he is. Yeah, well, I, I read that Birmingham a couple of Birmingham fans saying that they, they don't have a player in that position. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe it's just a, the right move for everybody. Well, do the fancy taking Bradley Dack as well? I mean, they could have two for one. If I want to get free. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, I mean, I mean, in terms of that kind of people picking the team and all this sort of stuff, it's just because he had a different squad. It's just as simple as that. You know, he, he's gone to Birmingham and there's a player like Pritchard possibly available and and it works better at Birmingham than, it, you know, than it might have done at Sunderland and he's going to probably play more minutes just because of the squad he's got. It's just as simple as that. I don't think there's any kind of major kind of Kennedy-type uh, conspiracy. You know, there's no grassy knoll or anything like that. <laughs> I think I think what it is is there's clearly more of an emphasis on whoever the head coach is to play the players we've got who have got a long-term future here. Whether, whether that's Job or a bar or whoever it is, like we've invested uh, money in these players. They're young. They need experience. So... You, 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 let's say you play Alex Pritchard 35, 40 games a season starting them. That's 35 or 40 games in their view that we could have been using somebody else. And I, I get the argument around, because I mentioned it before, we do need experience on the pitch. But to me, Pritchard, right, I like him. But like I think Chris was right there when he said, like more often than not with Pritchard, we've seen over the last, particularly the last couple of seasons, when he's been dropped, 
he's almost became a little bit better as a result in everybody's eyes. And then he comes off the bench and like, it's been times a season when he couldn't, he couldn't get on the pitch for whatever reason that was. And we can only speculate, but then he would come on and he would change the game. And then you would be like, Oh, well, I want to see Pritchard in the team the next week. Yeah. But to me, the last two games he played, I don't think he played very well. I thought he was really poor against Hull yeah. where he wasted pretty much every set piece opportunity we had. Yeah. Couldn't beat the first man. And these aren't, this, this isn't a new gripe. These, these issues have been there with Pritchard, virtually throughout his time here and to me if if what Nick Barnes put on Twitter was true when Nick had said that Pritchard was the one pushing for a move in the summer but nobody there was no takers so the club had signed players to replace him in and uh, who I presume would be Dak necessarily you know just for the profile and then Pritchard never never then left and then they've kind of been in a position in recent weeks where sort of coming off the bench he's made an impact and they've been sort of forced in a way to play him because he has made a difference off the bench but long term, I'm looking at it and going, what is the best thing for this team? Not just now, but a year from now. Because on this pod, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years. I remember, the, I've said this a few times, the three of us talking after games, doing podcasts and going, bloody hell, I just don't get it with Dan Neil. I'm not sure. Like, I don't get it. Lo and behold, like 18 months later, you look at him now, and, and he's the, the best midfielder in the team. He's the best, yeah. one of the best in the league. And sometimes with young players... It's it's that longer term view on things like with Job, for instance, or or Bar, like there's the, the something there, but they only get where we need them to get to if they play games and they make their mistakes. And same as what was said about Equa before, and players like Pritchard, yes, he's a good player, but is he so good that we have to give him a two and a half year deal and and a wage bump and play him every week? I, I would say no, Chris. To be honest. Well, you keep, sorry, just to go this Dan Neil thing, you, you always keep bringing up this Royal Wee business about, you know, <laughs> talking about Dan. I, I can never remember saying that about Dan Neil, but I'll... I'll, I'll I, take, I said I'll take that. I'll, I'll, I'll take you I'll, I'll take, I'll take that one. But it, just, I mean, just two things quickly. Just, I mean, the Pritchard talking about him, you know, starting 30, 40 games, which you mentioned that scenario there. You could see after an hour he was done. You know, and the amount of times he got pulled off when... Uh, when he was uh, when he actually started a game and he never he hardly ever lasted ninety minutes he was he's not a ninety minutes player really but the other thing was the statement and just quickly on that because a few people knocked that but I don't really know what the like surely when there's something like that and a player is clearly going to be missing from the team sheet the best thing for the club is to stick it out there and say this has happened this is why he's not in the yeah. squad because uh, otherwise. I mean, the rumours are just going to go around. The club might as well squash it with a quick statement. And uh, But I don't get people bashing the club on that. Well, a lot of people had a problem with the timing of it. Like, could it have been put out the night before or the morning of the game rather than an hour before? But that, 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 we, we, I think someone mentioned it right at the start of this topic. You know, we, we've only had one side of the story and it'll all come out eventually because when Pritchard does move, it'll be one of the first things he's asked about. Final thing on Pritchard. You know, the other player that we haven't mentioned in, in all of this is Aushish, which I think is the, the one who the see long-term potential in. Yeah. And I, I think he can go to the top, given the right development. You know, Pritchard's 31. He's had to drop into League One in the prime of his career to get a club and get a game. So you're wanting players now who, who we can build, you know, next season. You know, I think they'll be looking further up the table and going, right, we want to target that top four and really get there. We need the players to build with us and go up. And Pritchard at 32, 33, if he's never been a Premier League player regularly 
on a you know three or four seasons basis when he was 25 26 27 he's never going to be a premier league player regularly when he's 32 33 so we're kind of building that progression yes look you've got to get players who can help you get there but you know, as chris said he, he rarely finished yeah he started nine games a season and he's only finished two of them like that's not a player who's who's playing regularly and contributing and is integral to the to the side so you know, as I say, I think it's a shame because he can pull those bits of magic out of out of the bag, can't he? But his career suggests he's never been able to do that on a regular basis, and he's not going to start now. Uh, and Martin, you're spot on with Oshish, but I'd throw Chris Rigg at you as well. No, well, that's exactly. Yeah. And you know, the more that you put Pritchard even on the bench, he's blocking those players coming through and getting that experience. Yeah. And we've only seen Rigg come back on the bench in the last few weeks, haven't we? Yeah. So I think I can understand it. And when you think about the the last game, if let's just theoretically let's say. None of this went on with Pritchard and he started, which he probably would have had there not been all his hell on. Barr probably wouldn't have started the game and he got two assists and a goal. Rig came off the bench, which probably wouldn't have happened. So yeah. th- this is what I'm. This is the point I'm trying to make. As much as I think he's a good player, I would rather see us invest time in those players long-term and short-term. You know, We've had a couple of other questions around Pritchard. I mean, we got an email from John Briggs who just wanted to bring up the subject of his character and his attitude because there has been quite a lot of comments from Huddersfield fans saying, we told you so, we told you he was a bit like this in terms of the way he's kind of down tools. And they did, to be fair. I don't think it's the same circumstances like, but when yeah. he was at Huddersfield, um, he he was he basically done nothing. They look at him like he's Jack Rodwell, which is not the case here, but there has been quite a bit of that. And John was you know right to maybe bring that up and just point out there have been questions about his character at other clubs and we maybe just... We have overlooked it because he's been largely really professional at Sunderland. Um, thanks also to at Frag Pit on Insta and uh, Gary Deary on Facebook. Both asked questions about Pritchard. Hopefully we covered those off. We'll move on uh, because we've got quite a lot to get through. Uh, head coach, Michael Beale. Like I said before, we didn't get a lot of questions about Beale. It was only when I prompted people that we got a few, which is interesting given how viscerally the, the, the Beale out campaign seemed to ramp up. This time last week, really, you know, everybody really wanting rid of him and then we get a win and it's definitely calmed down a bit, although there will be people who are still on, on, on side with him. Uh, David Johnson on Facebook has said, does the Beal Out Brigade just dislike the man or is there a genuine reason for them not wanting him, Chris? <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's a that's a perfect question and I'd, I'd like to know it myself. I mean, I want to know the answer because, um, I mean, sacking a manager when he's done really nothing to warrant even that conversation happening is I, I'm a bit lost with um, this kind of opening period of of Mike Bale and the reaction to him. I really am. I, I, I mean, like I said, he wasn't at the top of my list. It wouldn't have been probably on my list because I wouldn't have thought of him. But he's here, and all all he's done, pretty much. All right, you can pull apart. <laughs> You know the real detail. Um, it's in there, but all he's done it's it's really been a continuation of the form that happened before him and was in Mowbray's. I think it was what two wins in nine games before Mowbray left, and then we won that those two uh, in between, and then lost to Bristol City, and then since then it's really been a bit of a continuation of that. And and you can see little things how he's trying to change things, and it's some things are coming off, some things that aren't. But it's it's not been a drastic drop off at all. I mean, I think when uh, when Mowbray left, we were ninth. I mean, we're seventh. I don't, I don't know. It's just I mean nothing. I mean the the football in some games has been uh, yeah okay. It's been ponderous and all this sort of stuff. And 
maybe people were expecting that honeymoon period and a big reaction from the players. But, I mean, still, if we're talking about a continuation in a head coach and that he slowly changes directions of things here and there, then using kind of this model and changing the head coach out and the coaching team staying the same, you're probably not going to see a big change because it's not an overhaul of the coaching behind the scenes. It's just, you know, Michael Bale, you know, changing the odd things on a match day and maybe the way he motivates players and his man management style, which surely can't have kicked in too much yet when you're talking about, what, four, what, five weeks, six weeks tops. So, look, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get the, the, the bailout brigade, as it's being described in this question. I mean, he's a new manager. He's learning his squad. He's he's getting to know what works, what doesn't. He's trying to change things as we're trying to fight for a playoff place, which in itself, I think, is a is an achievement this season. Like I said, I've said in the past, I think it's a tougher league. But yeah, so... I mean, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I think <laughs> I think a lot of people just really don't like his character. They don't like the way he's talked. Me and you talked about that, like that his character, the way he talks. I'd prefer, personally, I'd prefer a, a Roy Keane, a Dennis Smith, a Mick McCarthy, a Peter Reid, you know, who wears his heart on his sleeve and he comes out. And I mean, I think that works better with Sunderland, but that's no reason not to like someone or want a guy to be sacked. I'd yeah, as you can probably tell, I don't really understand it. And um, as far as I'm concerned, you you know, you, you see where this goes and, you know, yeah. let's have a look at the end of the season, which I've said quite a few times. Yeah, well, this next game is going to be a biggie, isn't it, Martin? And we've had a couple of questions about that. Rob at RobXXIII on Twitter has said, will wins against Borough and Plymouth get fans on side with Beal? And on the other side of it, we've had a question from Chris Hodgkinson at SGHGJH on Twitter. He said, if Borough beat us, do you think we'll be back to Beal out? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure some people are still Beal out regardless of um, yeah. the results, really. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm with Chris, and I, you and I have spoken about it recently, Gav. I, I just don't understand it, whether it's a, a Rangers-Celtic thing, whether people are also supporting Scottish clubs and have more of an impression of him from his time at Rangers, or what, I, I don't know, but it's just... It's just bizarre, quite frankly, to, to me. Um, I'm, look, I'm sure there will be more Beal out hashtags appear on social media if we get beat off Borough. Um, I do think if we win against Borough and Plymouth, they'll be an awful lot quieter. I'm sure you know there'll be some people who he never wins over. But you know, we saw on Saturday just what a, a win can do. It just calms everything down, puts a bit of perspective on us. I still maintain that if we're winning on a Saturday, we're getting playing well, getting three points. Everything else around the club, the chatter about it just dies down a bit and things aren't as important as as they become when we aren't playing well and aren't winning. So I mm. think, yeah, a couple of wins, it'll just keep that. And, you know, I hope to God he does because, as as we said the other day, I, I'm very much backing him because of the amount, he, amount of stick he's got <laughs> so far. And, you know, we've got another question about the level of abuse and insults towards Beale, whether that's gone too far. It's gone way too far. It's been absolutely pathetic in a lot of cases. And, you know, I think we, as a club, the the reaction to Beale hasn't reflected well on us. And, like, you see, you'll see other players, you'll see players looking at social media, go, oh, Sunderland are interested in this window. Let's have a look on social media. You'd, you'd run a mile. Some Like, if you saw some of that, you'd run a mile, wouldn't you? Because it's just been, <laughs> it's just been crazy. 
and it's been completely disproportionate to to reality. And I, I I don't I genuinely can't fathom it. But you know I think hopefully a few wins will get everything settled down. And you know like we saw on Saturday we saw some improvements. We saw Beal's influence on the team, the change in structure, the way we played, slight change in um you know the directness of of how we're playing and all that sort of stuff. And we we saw the outcome. So, you know, it wasn't the perfect performance, as we said the other day, like no. Stoke had scored in the first half when they could have. It could have been a whole different game. But look, let's go into the Borough and Plymouth games. And if we, um, I think if we get four points out of those two games, everything will just be a bit more calm and hopefully mm. people will give them time to, to see what you can do. Now, I, the reality is managers don't last long. Certainly at Sunderland. You know, if you get a year, you, you're doing pretty well, aren't you? So, you know, the chances are this time next year we might not be here regardless. Yeah, well, Josh Gibson asked us that on Twitter. He's He said, do you think Beal will still be here come the start of next season? I mean, he'd be he'd be doing something not many managers have done if, if he was still here. Um, so, oh, start know, next season. I, I, yeah, start next season. I mean, I, I don't know. Just to kind of my overall view on all of this. I mean, Jill, you, you mentioned Jill's question. We've had a Jill from... Jill. We've had a question from Jill Sarah one zero six five, who said, "Do you think the level of personal abuse and insults towards Beale have gone too far?" And I gave my views on this on on a couple of the recent podcasts. I think it's ridiculous, but you use the word disproportionate. And I think that's accurate because at the game on 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 Saturday there was there was the atmosphere was good. You know, went into the ground, generally really supportive of the team. I mean, going three 0 up helped. Obviously, it, it could have been entirely different. Had we lost the game, and I think it would have been, I think it would have been pretty violent there. But that's really a reflection on all Beal has to do, is just deliver results. And really, when you take the bluster out of it and you take all of the fluff and all the rest of it away, that's all any manager has to do, really. If they want to be a success anywhere, you have to win games of football. And I think you said it the other week, Martin, on a pod we did, that any manager who goes on a run of losing four or five, they're going to be looking over their shoulder. They're going to lose their job. You look at Darren Moore. Huddersfield, who look at look at the sort of the carry on that happened there when he left Chef Wed after getting them promoted, and then Huddersfield sacking a successful manager in Warnock because they wanted to make a long term appointment, bringing Darren Moore, and he's been a complete failure there, and and they've they've lost a few games, and he's out of a job. It shows you how quick these things change, but it goes the other way as well. It goes the other way where you can have such a, a hatred, which it seemed there was towards Beale from a, from a lot of people. That can just sort of flip if if he goes on a run and gets us winning games and pointing in the right direction. People will reluctantly, in some cases, acknowledge that he's doing a good job and they'll 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 support him. And that's all he's got to do is he's got he's got to keep he's got to keep winning games. It, I mean, it it is really that simple, isn't it, Chris? Well, it was. I mean, that's it. But the thing is, he still had all this hatred, and it's not like you know we're talking about yes, managers get under pressure when they lose three, four, five games in a row, but he didn't do that. Like the like I said no, earlier. He came with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I said that, the the form of the club has been similar to what it was before he came in and it hasn't been any worse. But my issue is with the people who had decided before a ball was kicked under Bale that it wasn't going to work. That's the issue I've got with people. I mean, all right, at some point they might be right. But you can't say that before a ball is kicked and just go, this will not work. Make a statement just to say, I've decided that it's not going to work. Because then you can, you'll can you never be behind him 
because even when he's winning games, because you've decided it won't work, at some point you'll be waiting for that point where you just say, oh, I told you. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I, I just don't get it. I mean, you know, have a viewpoint on how things are going, not just, you can't just decide before he's actually done anything, which some people did, which I just, again, it's another thing I can't really understand. But yeah, so I, I, I didn't understand the reaction then and I don't really understand the reaction now. Yeah, that was the end of the questions on Michael Beale. Not too many of them, which, like I said, just surprises and kind of makes us laugh, given uh, given just the way the last week's been. You, I guarantee we'd done this a week ago. I would have had four pages of <laughs> things about Michael Beale to talk about. Um, yeah. We'll move on to players. We've had a few questions on the players. We've had the one here we'll start off with, and I'll come to you, Martin. J at J like the letter on Twitter has said, why do you think we've had so many problems finding and then keeping fit players in the fullback positions? Now, this is topical, obviously, because we were about to sign, as we record this, we're about to sign a, a fullback slash centre-half from uh, from Leeds, who previously played for Rotherham and, and Celtic. Is it Heveldi? Heveldi? Um, yeah, I'm famously bad at names. Especially, His dad played for Forest. Remember the, yes, he did, you're right. The carry-on I had saying Oshisha's name on deadline day last year. <laughs> I'm still not over that. Um, he used to be crap on Championship Manager. <laughs> he did. He was what? Sorry, crap. He was he was crap on the old Championship Manager. Two thousand uh, one, two thousand two. He was crap defender, right centre. I think he was. I had that game, <laughs> but I can't remember him. Uh, but yeah, Jay's question, Martin, about why why we think we've had problems finding and then keeping fit fullbacks. It, it's it, I guess it's the question Sunderland will be wondering too because we've got three on the shelf at the minute who are all good players in Alessi and Sirkin and Huggins, but none of them have really been too available for us this season, particularly in the case of Sirkin and Elise. I mean, for yeah. me, I've said it so many times, Sirkin, when he's fit, I don't think there's a better left-back in the division. And then you've got Elise, add him into it. Long-term could end up being a, a really good Premier League player, but they're just not available to us. And the signing of this other lad kind of feels like the club reluctantly giving in and saying, right, we, we, we kind of lost a little bit of patience here. We need a player to be available instead of continually playing the likes of Hume out of position. It feels like we've kind of just gave up in that sense, at least for the rest of the season, and that we've, we're looking for alternatives now. And it does. it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think we've had problems finding them. Like If you write down our, our full-backs on both sides, we've actually got a pretty de- decent lineup of full-backs when people are fit. It's them being fit and available that's been problematic, hasn't it? And hmm. yeah, like I, I, I don't know whether it's something behind the scenes and in, in how we're looking after the players, or it's whether you know, we've actually got those players because they have injury concerns, and that's why Tottenham and West Ham have let Elise and Sirkin go because they know that they're susceptible to picking up injuries and they can't rely on them full time. And that's then the decision that we have to make: say, well, is it worth the risk getting thirty games a season out of them rather than forty six? But yeah, look, who knows in terms of the, the fitness and how how we're looking after them in the background. But you know, you, you just hope that Sirkin and Elise can can get that fitness and ma- maintain that um, sort of freedom for injuries because, like, they would be pivotal players for us. And like the interesting one, I think is um, is Elise at, at centre back because he kind of came as a, a centre back, didn't he? And he's been playing fullback out, out of necessity almost because of Sergan's injuries. And, you know, he's got the pace and the height and the physique to, to do really well there. And it's whether we actually see his long-term future as a centre-back, which I think is a kind of interesting proposition, but we, we've never actually seen him play much there, have we? But mm. I, don't, I don't think there's any 
straightforward answer to to that. I think we've been a little bit unlucky. No. Like Huggins' injury was a, a freak one, wasn't it? That wasn't yeah. a reoccurrence of anything. And it was such a shame because he was in such good form, can play either side. Um, Hume's proved to be pretty durable. He's played most of the season. Pembele came with an injury, but he's been fit since he recovered from that one. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they put this new lad straight in. Or I, I would love to see Pembele given a run out at, at right back because I think he'll give us that width that we've maybe lacked a little bit. But you know, Jensen Silt's been playing at, at full back out of out of choice at present, hasn't he? So, yeah, look, who knows? But I, I don't think we've had problems finding full backs, but yeah, keeping them fit has been a challenge. Another question on full backs for you, Chris, from Kyle Richardson on Twitter. He said, with our left footed full backs injured, are you surprised Ellis Taylor hasn't been given a chance? Uh, do you think he's just not up to it? That is an interesting one because he's been kept around and he does play left wing back, stroke left back, sometimes right back for the under 21s. And actually, to be fair, whenever I've watched him, he's played pretty well, but he doesn't seem to even be in the conversation. I mean, there we go again. We're signing another player who can play left back, stroke, centre defence. So what do you think the crack is with him? Well, I was, I was trying to think, isn't Taylor a little bit kind of older considering what you would think about a young player? Isn't he kind of 21, 22 now? A bit older. Yeah, he's, than... ba- he's, he's basically a pensioner. He's, uh, I think he's 21. Actually, he's 21 in April. Oh, so right, he's okay, 20 he's a bit... still. So he's still a, still a babby. Right, he's a bit younger than I thought then. But um, but you're right, <laughs> yeah, he seems to have been around for ages. And you do get the impression that if, you know, we've had a bit mini fullback injury crisis and like you said he hasn't been in the conversation I just I'd be surprised if we were kind of looking at him as a long-term option because if we were he would have had minutes on the pitch and he hasn't but yeah I mean I'm with Martin I mean the Huggins one was a was a a big one actually you know everyone was really rooting for him to to get back and it was it was a bit of a blow for everyone I think because everyone really wanted him to to do well and he was he was on that run Serkin is one of the best full backs in the in the division when he plays you just want him to you just want him to be fit and Elise has had his injury problems as well but uh but with uh the de- it seems like there's desperation to play Silt like there's an act like we we know that he's a really good player and we've been desperate to just get him in there and as soon as we had this injury crisis it was like right you're going in a full back he doesn't. I mean, he looks really comfortable on the ball, but I don't. He's not a fullback. He's a he's a ball playing centre half, and I think he's going to be a cracking one. But we just we just want him to get minutes on the pitch, which and I think actually that desperation has come above what Martin said because I'd like to see more Pembele as well. But I think our desperation to play Silt and give him minutes on the pitch has, has come even bef- uh, above that because there is there is the case. I think it. I think O nine's kind of character and. Like how he lifts other players is keeping them in the team at the minute in in, in centre half, and the fact that there's maybe not that kind of natural option to put out at right back because I think if o- o- nine didn't have the character he's got, I think we could have possibly seen more of Ballard and Silt in central defence. But yeah, it's like I said earlier on, it's interesting that we've gone out and bought a permanent one because to me that hints at our confidence in the injured players coming back kind of as we want them to come back, we might have just lost a little bit of patience with the like, likes of Huggins behind the scenes. So it'll be interesting to see to see how they do come back from these long-term injuries. Yeah, or, or if they ever really break back in, you know, the yeah, rate at which it. some of the players are developing. It's like with Huggins, he's going to be out a very long time and 
Speaking of players who've been out a very long time, Dan Verwage, hopefully I've got your name right there, Dan, on Instagram, has said, will Corey Evans ever come back? I'll come to you on that one, Chris. Corey Evans, do you think we'll see him in the Sun shirt again? Nope. Maybe be a simple yes or no question there. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, I think he's, I don't think we'll see him in the Sun shirt again. I think he's done. No, it's a shame, like, isn't it, Martin? Because Corey's, Corey's been a good player for us and I actually thought he was playing his best football right before he got injured. You know, even at, there was times in League One where I didn't quite get it with Evans and I thought he slowed us down a bit too much. But then when we made the step up into the championship, he, he did have an impact and it was gutting to see him get the injury he got. But it, I think I've said this before, it, it kind of felt like a token offer to him just to give him an extra year on his contract to help him help him out. If he gets back fit before the end of the season, we might see him. But I think his presence has probably been more felt around the training ground like. A lot of the captain jobs that he that he will have to carry out, he's probably still been doing, you know, the off the pitch stuff, still still doing those sort of things while O nine takes up the mantle on the pitch. But it, it would be a shock to see him back, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think he'll he'll come back to any great extent for us. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave in the summer. I think the contract offer, I think he would have got it, um, regardless of whether he was injured or not. But the fact that we gave him it when he was injured and going to be out the vast majority of the season I think it was just a good you know a good approach to looking after people and looking after your your players um, and I think that kind of reflects we've, in, we've a, in a good life so... that, well that's right and I think again your know, word gets around football doesn't it and if we've got this reputation of being a club that looks after you when you're injured and all that sort of stuff that, that can only be good um, I think Evans was important for Mowbray I think we touched upon it the other day when Mowbray came in, he obviously knew Corey Evans. He had somebody in the dressing room who he could he could trust. Um, so I think that was a, a big thing and a big probably a big influence in, in Evans staying. And you know, funnily enough, Evans is the type of player I was talking about earlier in terms of that defensive midfield player who can sit there and allow the other players to go forward. So we kind of need somebody of his ilk and style, I, I think. But yeah, I um I doubt you know if we do see Corey Evans on the field, I don't think we'll see too much of him um, before he most likely departs. I think you're probably right, unfortunately for him. And unfortunately for us, I think we could have done with him at times. A fully fit Corey Evans oh, at could. times this Absolutely. season would have would have made an impact. Uh, we'll move on a little bit. We've had a lot of questions around owners and, and models and all the rest of it. So we'll try and plough through those because that seems to be what most people want to hear us talk about. Right off the bat, and this is a biggie, Chris, from daniel.uk09 on Instagram. He said, what are your opinions of the Sunderland owners? He says owners there, so yeah. we're talking Carol Louis-Dreyfus and Juan Satori. What are your opinions of them? I don't know. What, as people? Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, as um, owners, I guess. What, what's your opinion of them as owners? Well, look, they've been here, I think, what is it, just gone three years now? Satori a lot longer, yeah. Ah, but, well, you know, pops into the old board meeting and stuff like that and... Uh, Hopes that we'll get it at the Premier League and it's worth a lot more. Basically, that's uh, Sartori's kind of uh, role in everything. But but God, I mean, look, uh, three years, look where we were then. I think, I'm sure we'll look back, you know, not that long ago, but me and you were talking about it. The team that we put out on that first game after they came in and took over the the club. I mean, look at where we are now. I mean, it's up and talking about the players and talking about the, you know, on the brink of the playoffs, we're in the playoffs in the championship last season. I mean, it's just it's just been night and day on the pitch. You know, bringing Speakman in, bringing in a a way of doing things and sticking to it. I mean, I, I just 
I like the way we're doing things. It just it's a breath of fresh air, and I think a lot a lot of other clubs are looking at us a little bit uh, envious of that the fact that we've got a bit of a structure and you know you see some teams buying players and left right and center and you think well, I'd rather not thank you very much uh, I'd rather keep doing what we're doing so I mean on that front brilliant off the pitch I, I just get the feeling that they've parked a lot and they've they've just went we'll deal they've kind of thought we'll deal with all of the off the pitch stuff later which is really disappointing and I think it's now taken these recent events to give them a real kick up the arse and to realise that where they're actually at off the pitch. And it seems like now the penny's dropped, but it shouldn't have taken this long and it shouldn't have taken so much shouting at them for so long. And that that's a real kind of disappointment. But in terms of the my opinion of them, I think his heart's in the right place. I think he wants to do things properly, which is refreshing. So I've I've got a I've got a lot of time for for the owners. I think I think they've done a lot of good. Um, they just like I said, it it's that off the pitch where they they really need to improve things and and get it right. But but kind of on the pitch, I don't think you can really knock them. Yeah, I think that's an understatement. They've got to get things right off the pitch. I think there's so much, just so much that does need to be improved. Martin and John Wilson's again asked us a question. He said, if KLD is genuinely going to show the fans that the club has learned lessons in the coming months, what will those actions look like? I mean, the big step was meeting with the fan groups, obviously, because that, I think it had been nearly a year since the meet, the last meeting between anybody from the club and the fan groups. And even in those early days with Kiralee wasn't present at the meetings, it would always be Speakman, Davison, Chris Waters, Oscar Chamberlain. Kirill made, made himself uh, seen at this one, which is a big step. Um, and going off the minutes from the meeting, it wasn't there wasn't groundbreaking stuff in there, but there were a lot of action points and there were a lot of things for for them to take forward. And you very got much got the impression from from particularly the Red and White Army, and they were backed up from the other groups that they weren't going to be so kind in future if some of these things weren't particularly actioned. So there there is that at least, but we do have to start seeing evidence, and that's something I think John's trying to point out there. You know what what does actual progress look like? when it comes to the off-the-pitch stuff? Well, it's running the club off the field like a, a championship club that wants to get in the Premier League rather than a, a non-league club. And I think, you know, I, I agree with Chris and his evaluation of what we've kind of seen from the owners on the field. And, you know, I'm, I'm completely on board with, with the ownership and everything that we're seeing from a footballing perspective. But, like, we've seen little to no improvement on things off the field. You know, there's still problems with the ticket office, you know, with, with the... um. The, the meet, meeting minutes that I read through from the um, the meeting the other day with the sports collective, the people had called other other clubs' ticket offices and and got straight through to fifty or forty nine out of fifty of them. <laughs> 30, and the one I exception think it was. was Sunderland. Yeah, you couldn't get was, through to Sunderland. Was, you get through uh, every other club. It was an old friend of wrote a report there, Malcolm Bramley, who came. Yeah. I thought it was great, by the way. Brilliant. It, that, it, oh, that, superb. It, there's no comeback from that, is there? You know, <laughs> that's one way to prove your point. But you know, there's there's that sort of stuff. There's obviously the the stuff with the kits, which you know was covered in in the meeting that they've they've got a different kit supply for next season and ordered more kits and all that sort of stuff. But you know, these problems should have been sorted out a long time ago. You know, they've been evident for for so so long. The stadium could do with a bit of a refresh and a lick of paint and some maintenance there. I think so. There's that stuff to it. And, you know, you can you can give them a bit of leeway. 
um, in, in the early days because, you know, the football inside of things had to be sorted out. And without us being in the championship, all of the other stuff was was pretty irrelevant. You know, there's little point in having the best ticket office and club shop in the world if we were at the bottom of League One. So in terms of where they put the priorities and the emphasis on, on action, that, that's correct. But I think now they've got to look after that off-field stuff too. And, you know, in terms of what KLD has to show, he's you know, learned lessons over the coming months, it is action on those sort of things. And, you know, within the sports collective, I think they'd, they'd agreed that there would be action points, as you said, taken out of each meeting, you know, meeting more regularly, start the meeting with those action points and see what actually has been done. So the, the club have been held accountable to it. But, you know, if you're kind of looking at the ownership overall and you, you go back over over the ownership that we've we've had, you know, whether you, you go back to the Donald and Methven era, you go back to Ellis Shaw, to Quinney's Consortium, to Bob Murray, to Tom Cowie, there's always been things that haven't been quite right. We've never, ever had the perfect owner. We've never had it where, and I don't think any club has, clubs are always going to have some criticism of things that they should have done or shouldn't have done or, or what have you. I think there's elements of people who look at negativity with the ownership and pounce on it and for whatever reason will will emphasise and focus on that rather than positives. But I think if you take a step back, and as Chris said, other clubs, if you, you're a fan of another club looking at how we've progressed under this ownership, you know, with um, Speakman heading up the, the football side of things with Kirill Louis-Dreyfus overall with Sartori, I think, you know, there's lots of other supporters of other clubs would go, I'd take that. And I think it sounds, it feels if we're kind of secure, stable and progressing, which as a football supporter, that's kind of what you want from your, your ownership. You don't want them to be, I, I wouldn't, I would be really concerned if this transfer window, we splashed out 80 million quids worth of, of transfer fees. So I'd, just, I'd be concerned that we're chasing something too quickly. Like mm. I, I wouldn't want to see it. So like I, I'm, I'm with, with Chris on that one. I think, it's they're doing a good job on the football side, certainly. But yeah, off field, there's some things to sort out. Yeah, Dan Edge Stroop Anderson on Facebook has asked a, a, a quite a broad question about what we think about the long term trajectory of the club and the bigger picture. Um, and we might have covered off some of that just there with with sort of thoughts on how the owners have done, particularly on the football side of things. But the, the long term trajectory of the club, Chris, under this owner. I mean, it, the, you can see what the aim is, can't you? you we, we know it's to get to the Premier League, but it's not just to get to the Premier League. It's to, when we get there, be in a position to stay there and also progress once we do get there because that's what a lot of clubs struggle with. They throw everything at getting into the Premier League and then once they're there, it becomes a bit of a panic and they struggle to stay there. And I, you might disagree with me on this, but I think what we're seeing is them trying to build a team in that image in that once we do get to the Premier League, we don't just fall straight back out of it and have to start again. Yeah, I mean, look, you're talking about chasing it. You just need to look at clubs like Redden at the minute and what can happen if you really chase it and you, you end up in a right mess. We were almost in that position once upon a time. We could have easily been a Redden. Um, you know, what, what's happening to them at the minute. And the way we're doing it, we're not we're not kind of throwing money at it, which, which you know, I, I, again, I really like that we're being sustainable. And we're buying these players who can progress with us. And I think talking about the long-term trajectory, that we're getting to that point where it, it almost feels at the minute, sitting in seventh this season, with all of the, you know, 
talking about managers getting sacked and stuff like that. We're sitting seventh in the championship. And I, sometimes I don't, I can't marry the two together. I don't, I don't know, you know, that <laughs> it's, it's almost like we've, we've accidentally getting on the verge of the playoffs. Like, you know, that, you know, people think, people think we're a club in chaos at times, but we're on the verge of the playoffs where I think that's our place in the world at the minute with, with the squad we've got. And I think it's progressing to that, to get to that point, you know, and it's, the, the problem is because you're developing players, the way you do things like this, you can't have a you can't have a revolution in a in one window or two windows where you completely revamp the squad. It, it doesn't work like that. You change one or two things every window, or you really kind of focus on one position. But it's and the it's, game. The game has definitely moved on since the last time we did that under Roy Keane. And it's hasn't it? yeah, exactly. And it's going to take time to get to that point where they need to be, where we eventually build the squad that wipes the floor with the championship that they can then hang their hat on and say, we've now built a squad that is, we can say is too good for the championship. We just go up and we romp it and we, we get promoted comfortably because then when you go up, you've got those players who could make that step up comfortably. And then you're in a position to, to recruit again and, and strengthen from a, from a decent position, not a position. If you look at the bottom three of the premier league, where, your Burnleys and your Sheffield Uniteds and your Lutons went up with clearly squads that weren't good enough, and they are where they are, and you, you know that that they're going to take have a couple of cycles of bouncing up and down. So, look, the long term trajectory, I think, is it's going to take a few, a lot more windows to get to that point. My biggest worry, and I know there's going to be loads of people who disagree with this, and I, I you know, I, I don't quite know. Again, a little bit like the Mike Bale. I don't get some of the stick that Speakman gets considering the job he's done in three years, like something like five or six transfer windows, revamp the squad to what it is now. Yes, okay, there's been mistakes on the way, but you know, transfers are a bit of a dark art, aren't they, where there's that many variables. Anything could go wrong. I mean, someone might just not be able to settle in the area or something like that. They didn't like the fish and chips down the seafront or something like that. You know, you just don't know what might happen. So... Actually, if if I was in charge of someone like Everton, Palace, I don't know, someone in that position, Wolves, I'd be looking at Sunderland and I'd say, I'd throw money at Speakman and say, there's a job here, I'll double your wages, bring all of your recruitment team here, and we want you to recruit, be the recruitment team for us. And that's my biggest fear, because then they, that that's what it's built on, and we've had success with it for three years. How do you build that again? You know, if you rip that part out... <laughs> That's that's the part that's been the driver. Uh, my my concern is that uh, kind of the success we've got and the reputation we're getting, then there's going to be clubs circling around Speakman and his team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the question was around trajectory. And one club which is often cited when talking about models and the way the, the right way to do it is Brentford. They're, they're a good example of a team who got promoted and then when they got promoted, were able to stop there. Their journey wasn't without bumps in the road. I mean, they got promoted out of League One, immediately made it to the playoffs, just like we did, and then got beaten in the semi-finals, just like we did. The following year, they got to the playoff final and got beat. I think it was against Fulham. Um, and then the year after, they got to the playoffs again, and this time they won the playoffs and got to the Premier League. And then when they eventually got to the Premier League, they've managed to stay there for a few years, and you know, and they've done it the right way. They've They've signed players that were maybe undervalued, developed them, sold them on, managed to keep con 
continually improving. You know, Ivan Tony, who they've got now, was going to end up making them a lot of money, and he was a punt from League One. Like Brent, but people forget about how Brentford got there. They didn't just win the league all of a sudden. They actually went through a bit of adversity and struggled a little bit, and 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 then when they when they eventually got into the championship, they had a few knockbacks where they got beaten the playoffs, and that might be a similar journey to the one we're on. So. An upwards trajectory isn't always completely upwards. Sometimes there's a little bump and occasionally you have to change direction to, to get back on course. So I think overall, the bigger picture on the football inside, like if we don't get promoted this year, you know, we're going to lose Jack Clark. I've got no doubt about that. He's simply too good at this stage now for teams not to come around with big money. We're already seeing it. If Lazio are after him, you can guarantee there are a lot more clubs after him as well. And in the summer, when they've all got a bit more money to spend, when, when, when there's a bit more to do, I, I think that we're going to struggle to keep them. And and but the point is, is that eventually when we do sell them, we reinvest that money and move on. So, yeah, fingers crossed. This is the the way we keep heading. We've had a lot of questions actually around the model itself, and I'd love to answer them all. But they're all generally around about the same thing. You know, people asking us about the model, the general state of the model, whether we think it's a good idea or not. I think the sort of general consensus you can tell from what we've said is we all we all kind of like the way we do things and it's not perfect, but I think they've got more right than they've got wrong and that's the important thing, really. They're not going to get everything right, as I think you said before, Martin, you know, no owner's perfect. If there were, they, you know, it, it would be very easy to get to the top. So fingers crossed to keep continuing the way we're going. Uh, we'll move on a little bit towards the end of the pod. We've got a few more questions to go through. I'll throw at you on this one, Chris. Season so far, uh, Anthony Richardson at hmm, SAFC on Twitter has said the performance against Ipswich has the performance against Ipswich skewed our expectations for this season. On balance, I say us as a 60 point, 69 point squad still working on the striker situation, but generally improving and future proof in other areas. We're one signing away from success, but one injury away from crisis. Um, has the performance against Ipswich skewed our expectations for the season? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it was it was a good performance, but I think we've had better this season. Talking about expectation, I think I think where we are is about where we expected us to be. I mean, look at I I think this is a tougher league, so your top four is pretty much done. And then I've said I said for quite a few weeks, there's then half the division fighting it out for two playoff places. So I, I mean, in terms of expectations, I think we're exactly where we expected us to be. But we, as I mentioned earlier. We are where we are without really playing that well this season. Like it's almost, it's almost like um, you know we're we're seventh in the championship without really trying, which is which is a bizarre place to be. I mean, you know that we haven't. Martin mentioned earlier on there's places in the team where you just think it still doesn't work this season, and we haven't worked out the the solutions to those problems. But we're seventh, and <laughs> we're kind of a you know. And I think everyone fancied the likes of Borough this season. And, you know, there was some other clubs down there as well. Blackburn were expected to do better. Millwall were expected to do better. There's all those kind of clubs below us fighting it out to try and get ahead of us. And we're talking about us having problems. So I think we're exactly where there or thereabouts. Last season, we've already talked about the Ahmad effect last season. So that lifted us a bit more. We've signed four strikers this season. Hasn't come off. And we've had that to deal with, but we're seventh. And I, I just think in terms of expectations, I think that's 
looking at the table as well and looking at the issues we had, I think I think we're doing pretty well. And I think it's I think we're in a really good position considering everything that's happened and everything that's going on. Uh, Ollie Williamson Martin on Instagram has asked us honest prediction for where we finish. <laughs> this is the million well, dollar question, isn't it? Well, yeah, the, the top four positions are done, aren't they? You've got three relegated clubs in Ipswich. They'll have those sewn up. And I think you've got 10, 12, 13 clubs chasing after those last two <laughs> playoff places. Yeah. Um, and, like, reality is we, we could finish fifth or we could finish 10th, really. And any any team that goes on a good run of form between now and the end of the season will, will claim those last two places. Um, prediction? I don't know. I actually don't think we'll make the playoffs. I, I would say seventh where we are, but... I'm saying sixth. I'm saying sixth. I still think we'll get in. I think we'll manage to sneak in. It's, it's the Sunderland chaos theory that I came up with a few years ago. We always manage to just go completely mad at some point, and I think it'll be another another late run for that final place for me. What about you, Chris? I think Martin's right. I don't think we're consistent oh. enough. I think I think uh, West. I think West Brom are going to be. I think West Brom are, are going to be that. Um, they're going to lock in that fifth place. I think they're they're a good side. The the run Coventry are on. I'd be surprised if they let up too much with a the run there on, and nobody else underneath them's consistent enough. So I, I've, I've kind of expect the top six to be as it is now, and I think we'll miss out. Here's a caveat for you, though. I actually reckon we might end up doing better points wise than we did last season. <laughs> so end up finishing on more than what was it, sixty nine points last year? Yeah, and I think it was it was pretty much uh, the lowest points total I got in the championship mm. for the past yeah. championship playoffs. Sorry for the past ten seasons. So. That, and that's an interesting one in terms of perception. So if if we end the season with seventy two points, for example, but finish seventh, have we progressed? Mm. I, I think some people would say no, but I would argue yes because we've somehow yeah. managed to to come out better in the end. But uh, TNLA underscore three on Twitter has asked Chris: Are Sunderland ready for the Premier League? Um, no, it's, no. <laughs> I think I think that's pretty obvious where <laughs> where we are on the table because, um, like I said. Y- y- you look at last season and we played the likes of Burnley and Sheffield United and we, at times, they looked um, a level above us and, the, you know, the, they're kind of struggling this season in the Premier League and this season, you just need to look at how inconsistent we are in the Championship um, and we're not ready for the Premier League. Like like I said earlier on, I think the long-term plan is to build that team where we are, where they can hang their hat on them and say we're too good for the Championship and I think that's still a good few windows off at least, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, I think, and that that's probably not going to make people happy. But yeah, I think we'll be in a better position next year. Once I actually think we need, we've already had one fairly big sale with Ross Stewart going, but I think I do think that this squad probably needs a big sale, and then the investment in probably three or four even better quality of player. Like at the minute, we're shopping in sort of two, three million pounds is about where we're hitting when it comes to signing players. And I think, you know, it, it people aren't going to like to hear this, but Jack Clark will be gone in the summer, I think, if we don't get promoted. And I don't think we will, which then means, you know, there's going to be a, a, a big chunk of money there to reinvest in the squad. And I just think that's the general path that teams take at this stage when when they're sort of building like we are. They'll, they'll make a, a big sale and then they'll invest that money into a slightly better quality of player. We can pay a little bit more in wages and we'll have maybe three or four better players to add to that squad, plus the development of all the players we've already got, who by that point we're going to have between, I don't know, 50 and 
100, in some cases, 150 games under the belt in the Sunderland shirt. I just think we'll be in a better position next year, Martin. I don't know what you think, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm more confident of us being ready in a year than I am now. Oh, look, I think you look at how Leicester and Leeds and Southampton have done this season, the Championship, to see the, the gulf between the bottom of the Premier League and, and the top of the Championship. And I think we're miles off at, at the minute. And I think, you know, what you've raised there kind of goes back to the, the questions about the, the model. And, you know, there's some questions that we haven't um, been able to get to. But in terms of, like, bringing those players in, reinvesting the money, that's what we've not seen yet. And that's the next step of, of the model. We've got the, the money from the, the sale of Lahadji in, in the summer, Ross Stewart. Somebody else goes, um, probably Jack Clark, as you say. Chances are he'll, he'll go in the summer. Hopefully it's summer and not um, in the next few days. But it's how we reinvest that money and we... You know, we've been bringing in players who, you know, you look at Barr, he's been here for 18 months and it's only now he's looking as if he can contribute regularly. So the players that we've been bringing in have needed time to, to settle. And, you know, people will, will have a view on that and some people might not agree. And, you, know, you you want players to come in immediately and be in the first team. We do need some of that. But just because players like, um, you know, Barr, Aushish, Bennett, whoever else, haven't come in and made a, a huge impact yet, that doesn't mean to say that they're not going to in, in the coming months and in, in the coming years. And it's a longer term thing. We're making signs for the for the longer term. We do need some experience in that team now. And that we've got to supplement the, the youngsters with a couple of players of experience. I think that's how you get that's how we'll get a Premier League ready side next season. Because what you want is to go up and like you talked about Brentford and Brighton's another one where you get promoted. And you keep the core of that side. You don't want to make wholesale changes like Forrest had to do last season to create a Premier League side. We want to create a Premier League ready side now, not just go up and then have to create a Premier League ready side. Um, and I think you know we'll see. We'll have a stronger group of players this time next year in the Championship than we have now. And I think then you know the Championship will be weaker next season, I suspect, mm. than, than it is this season. So it'll be interesting to see how we actually how we're looking next season. But I think if we add a couple of players of, of experience who can just bolster things a little bit, who come in and ready for the first team, then you, you're looking far more ready for the Premier League than we currently are. Yeah, and we'll end off with this question from Michael Paul on Twitter. Come to you first, Chris. Are you looking forward to Series 3 of Sun Until I Die? It's the first time we've mentioned it. But are you looking forward to that, Chris? Actually, it, it should be brilliant. <laughs> I mean, a Sunderland documentary where you know it actually turns out <laughs> all right. We haven't had that before, so it'll be it'll be refreshing in that sense. But uh, but I, it'll be brilliant. See all those scenes again and see how they they cover that. So um, they've got good subject matter this time. So you, you actually want to watch it? Yeah, looking forward to it. You mentioned there. You said uh, a Sunderland documentary where you know the outcome's good. The Two Tribes documentary they ran on BBC. We beat Newcastle two one at the end of that one. So, the, but yeah, generally speaking, we don't come out too well on these things. Uh, what about you, Martin? You looking forward to it? No, I am. As Chris said, you kind of know the know the end. It's got a happy ending this time, um, with the the playoff win. And yeah, I I just hope there's nothing ridiculous in it that comes back to bite us. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'll I'll certainly tune in as soon as it's um as soon as it's launched and probably binge it in a in the evening. Yeah, but it's only going to be three episodes, isn't it? So. I think it's only going to be three episodes anyways, so it should be nice and easy to, to chow down on. I'm looking forward to it. That weekend was probably the the best I've had as a Sunderland fan from my perspective, you know, just being able to see us win at Wembley with me dad was nice and me mates and stuff, so 
yeah, big one for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I wonder if it might help Alex Neal get a job because he's out of work at the minute and see how he comes across on it. Eh? Yeah, I just, I just yeah. hope there was uh, one of their cameras in Trafalgar Square, mate. They might have caught you. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, that's, 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 let's hope not. Um, thanks, everybody who sent questions in. I'm sorry we haven't managed to get them all done. I mean, I, I, I put this across every platform we're on and... Yeah, we got a massive response. We've covered quite a lot, to be fair. I'm sitting here with my sheet in front of us, and I think we've done about three quarters of the questions we got. And most of them, really, we covered off topics that people had asked. So uh, sorry if we didn't get to you on this occasion, but we're going to try and keep up this format of podcast semi-regularly with the, the questions from you lot and uh, keeping us on our toes and maybe pressing us on some of the things we don't get to cover off in detail on the regular pods when we're reviewing or, or previewing games. So thank you very much. Cheers to Martin and Chris for staying with me at this late hour. Well, late for me and Chris. Thank you very much. Nice and early for you, Martin, I think. But uh, No worries. Cheers, boys. Cheers, listeners, for joining us. We will be back on Thursday on Twitter Spaces with a live deadline day show. So we're going to kind of do this sort of thing as we do every transfer deadline day, but on Twitter Spaces where we're reacting live to everything that's going on. There'll be a bunch of us from Rotor Report on that, so make sure you tune in for that and the idea really is that you can stick us on, mute your TV when you've got Sky Sports News, just repeating the same old shit about Man U and Liverpool and whoever else and trying to make really mundane bits of business sound interesting. And instead, you can listen to us chat shite about Sunland and hopefully we can react to some incomings and outgoings as, as we're on the air. So that should be fun. Also, after that, we'll probably do a preview in between sort of deadline day and and the Borough game, because we've got to talk about that game coming up. We've barely, I don't think we've mentioned it tonight, so lots to come over the coming days from us, so make sure you tune into everything, and we'll be live on Thursday from 8pm on the Twitter page, so catch us then. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.